In February last year, me and a bunch of friends went camping at Moss Park, a county park to the southeast of Orlando. This county park is on a forested island with two large lakes to the east and west, and two extensive nature preserves to the north and south. We were just hanging around the campfire drinking beers and smoking pot. Around 11 p.m., me and three of the friends decided to go for a walk into the nature preserve to the south. Our destination was a dock on a pond cove of the large lake to the west. I normally am not the type to go walking around in the woods in the dark. I do a lot of hiking, but always during the daytime hours. I guess being slightly inebriated and with friends made me braver than usual, so we went trekking off into the woods in the dark with nothing but a flashlight to protect us. At first the trail was taking us through a large swamp, and nothing felt out of the ordinary. Next, the trail entered a thick pine forest. Here, things began to feel a bit different, and in retrospect, it was very quiet, but I wasn't concerned at the time. We got to the dock and started shining the flashlight around hoping to see some alligators. There were no alligators, no bugs, and no sign of life in general. I thought it was a bit odd, but again I wasn't too concerned. Then all of a sudden something changed. Within a few seconds, all four of us said something along the lines of, Do you feel that? Something all of a sudden felt very wrong. Then one of my friends said, Listen to how quiet it is. We all shut up and listened. It was insanely quiet. Not a single frog, insect, or bird. Even the wind had stopped. It was the quietest thing I had ever heard in my life. It was like we were inside a vacuum. Remembering this lack of sound gives me chills to this day. Next we all remarked how cold it was getting. I started getting goosebumps. It felt like the barometric pressure had just plummeted. At this point, we all agreed that we needed to get the F out of here. There was a strong feeling of impending danger. Like something wanted us to leave at SAP, and we would be in big trouble if we didn't. I was able to feel that all of this energy was coming from across the pond towards us. I think all of my friends could feel this as well, because we were all focused on the pond. Nobody was paying any attention to the dark woods behind us. It felt like a charge of energy was running through my body, and I could feel exactly the direction that this energy was coming from. We all agreed that we had to leave and started walking back at a fast pace. The bad feelings were still present while we were walking back through the pine forest. One of my friends actually started crying. I was not too worried though, I felt like we would be okay as long as we kept walking. Once the trail exited the pine forest and entered the swamp, all the bad feelings were immediately lifted. It was like we had crossed some sort of threshold and everything felt fine again. I think we may have been run off by a Sasquatch because I've seen them myself on a few occasions, and I've heard that they can put these bad feelings into people, but we didn't see anything so I can't say for sure what it was. About 15 minutes after getting back to the campfire where the rest of our friends were, we heard what sounded like someone or something whacking a tree with a big stick one time just across the campground. This may have been related to what happened earlier. The campground host immediately got up and started walking around with a light, as if they were equally surprised by this sound, or possibly this kind of thing had happened before. I had to leave the next morning to go to work, 
but some of my friends stuck around and went back to the dock during the daylight hours, and they reported that nothing was out of the ordinary this next time. I still go hiking a lot, but I am not planning on doing any more hiking in the dark. It felt like we were in legitimate danger, like whatever it was could have made us disappear if we didn't leave an SAP. In June 2018, I had taken a trip to Grand Teton National Park, hoping to visit the popular area near Jenny Lake. However, upon arrival, I discovered that the area had been closed to the public due to concerns over expanding cracks and fissures in a large rock formation. Disappointed but undeterred, I decided to explore other parts of the park. While Yellowstone had been in a perpetual state of unrest with its steamboat geyser erupting constantly, I had never expected to witness something so unusual and potentially significant during my visit. One afternoon as I hiked through the park, I came across a live webcam that had been set up to monitor the area. Curious, I stopped to take a look at the footage. To my amazement, I spotted a strange, colorful bird perched on a branch just within the camera's view. The bird resembled the mythological firebird or phoenix, a sacred creature found in many cultures. Its majestic plumage glowed brightly, emitting red, orange, and yellow light like a bonfire that was just past the turbulent flame. I couldn't believe my eyes. Was this a mere coincidence, or was there something more to this mysterious bird's appearance? I decided to investigate further, taking photos of the bird with my camera and making notes of its behavior. As I observed, the bird seemed to have a calming presence, as if it was somehow connected to the recent geological events at the park. Word soon spread about the appearance of this mysterious firebird, and people flocked to the live webcam to catch a glimpse of the creature. Some believed that the bird's presence signaled an imminent eruption or significant geological event, while others saw it as a symbol of hope and renewal amidst the chaos. As the days passed, the firebird continued to make appearances on the live webcam, drawing the attention of experts and enthusiasts alike. Theories abounded, but no one could definitively explain the bird's origin or purpose. Eventually, the firebird disappeared from the webcam as suddenly as it had appeared. The park returned to its usual state of unrest, but the memory of the mysterious bird lingered in the minds of those who had witnessed its beauty. Looking back on that experience, I'm still awestruck by the incredible sight of the firebird in Grand Teton National Park. While its true nature may never be known, its presence in a time of uncertainty served as a reminder of the enduring power of hope and the beauty that can be found even in the midst of chaos. As a child, I always looked forward to going on long drives with my dad in his truck. This summer was no different. We were cruising down the road, enjoying our snacks when I saw something odd on the side of the road. I called out to my dad, but he didn't seem to notice it. A few minutes later, I saw it again. It was a creature running on the side of the road, but it was hazy and blurry. This time, my dad saw it too, but he shrugged it off. We continued driving, but after a while, we got a flat tire. My dad pulled over to change it, and we saw that the tire had multiple holes poked in it, as if something had bitten it. While we were changing the tire, another truck passed by, 
and I remember admiring its cool lights. However, we didn't think much of it at the time. As we continued our journey, we saw the same truck we had passed earlier crashed on the side of the road. Police and EMTS were already there, and we drove on that night, grateful that we had not been in that accident. Looking back, my dad and I still talk about that strange creature we saw, which he later learned was called a crawler. We wonder if it had something to do with the strange occurrences that night. Whether it was the creature or a mysterious force that saved us, we'll never know for sure. But the memory of that night still sends shivers down my spine. I was on a routine patrol in the nearby state park when I received a call about a suspicious individual seen wandering along the highway. As a park ranger, I'm responsible for ensuring the safety of visitors and enforcing park rules and regulations, but occasionally we have to lend a hand to our neighboring communities. I hopped in my truck and drove to the area to check it out. As I was driving, I remembered a story a fellow ranger had shared with me a few weeks ago about a man pushing a shopping cart in the middle of nowhere. It seemed like an odd coincidence that I was now on the lookout for a person matching that description. I decided to keep an eye out just in case. A few miles down the road I saw him. The man with the shopping cart. He was pushing it along the shoulder of the highway, looking weary and disheveled. I pulled over and approached him cautiously. Excuse me, sir. Are you okay? Do you need any help? I asked him. He looked up at me with tired eyes and shook his head. No, I'm fine. Just trying to make my way to Houston, he replied. I noticed that he had a large backpack strapped to his back and the shopping cart was filled to the brim with what appeared to be all his worldly possessions. It was clear that he was homeless and had been walking for miles. I introduced myself as a park ranger and offered to give him a ride to the nearest town where he could get some rest and food. He hesitated for a moment but eventually accepted my offer. As we drove, he told me about his journey and how he ended up in Colorado. It turned out that he had been walking for days, trying to make his way to Houston to see his family. He had taken a shortcut through Kingsburg, and that's where the driver had mistaken him for a deer. He was grateful for the ride and for someone who cared enough to check on him. As a park ranger, I'm used to dealing with all kinds of situations, but this one touched me in a different way. It was a reminder that even in the middle of nowhere, there are people who need our help and compassion. I dropped him off at a nearby shelter and wished him luck on the rest of his journey. As a veteran who has driven extensively in Iraq and Kuwait, I have seen my fair share of accidents and tragedies on the road. One incident that has stayed with me was the sight of a decapitated man lying on the side of the road. He had been involved in a racing accident and his head was propped up on his stomach. It was a gruesome sight, but unfortunately, such incidents were not uncommon in those parts of the world. In another instance, I witnessed a woman leaving her car running on the side of a busy street in Kuwait City with her two toddlers inside. I couldn't help but feel anxious about the potential danger they were in. One wrong move, and they could have easily ended up as roadkill. These are just some of the many incidents I have witnessed while driving in these regions. 
It's a sobering reminder of how dangerous the roads can be and how quickly things can turn tragic. It's something that has stayed with me, and I am grateful for every safe journey I have had since then. I had always been fascinated by the stories my Native American friend, Tall Bear, would share with me about the legends and myths of his people. As a lover of the outdoors, I would often join him on his expeditions into the wilderness, seeking adventure and learning about the ancient traditions and beliefs of his tribe. One day, Tall Bear invited me to accompany him to a remote area of the forest where he had discovered something unusual. He had found a 25-30-foot section of barbed wire fence knocked down, and one of the goats from a nearby farm was missing. Intrigued, I agreed to join him in investigating the strange occurrence. As we made our way through the dense forest, Tall Bear shared with me some of the eerie stories of unknown creatures that were said to roam the land, creatures that defied explanation and were deeply rooted in his people's folklore. Upon reaching the site, we found the goat lying on the ground with a broken neck, its bowels missing, and its tongue sticking out. The sight was gruesome, and I couldn't help but feel a sense of dread wash over me. Tall Bear, however, remained stoic, carefully examining the area for any clues as to what could have caused such a horrifying scene. The next day, we returned to the site to continue our investigation, only to find the goat's lifeless body hanging over a low tree limb. As we carefully inspected the surrounding area, we discovered enormous 16-inch tracks leading away from the scene. The tracks were unlike anything we had ever seen before, and we couldn't help but wonder if we had stumbled upon evidence of one of the unknown creatures from Tall Bear's stories. Determined to learn more, we decided to follow the tracks deeper into the forest. As we ventured further, the air grew colder, and a sense of unease settled over us. We couldn't shake the feeling that we were being watched by something unseen, something lurking just beyond our line of sight. Despite our growing fear, we pressed on, driven by our curiosity and the hope of discovering the truth behind the mysterious tracks and the fate of the unfortunate goat. As we delved deeper into the heart of the forest, I couldn't help but feel a newfound respect for the ancient stories and wisdom of Tall Bear's people. The unknown species we were tracking may have been the stuff of legends, but our pursuit of it was as real as the ground beneath our feet. Whatever we would find at the end of the trail, I knew that our journey together had brought us closer to the mysteries of the natural world and the secrets of Tall Bear's ancestors. And in that moment, as we stepped further into the unknown, I felt a profound connection to the land, its creatures, and the rich tapestry of stories that had shaped the lives of generations before us. I was tree planting near Smithers, British Columbia, about an hour and a half into the mountains on dirt roads. I tried my best to just forget this incident even occurred, as I simply could not find a way to rationalize what happened. I don't care who believes me or not, by the way, but what happened is this. It was almost midnight, and I was trying to sleep in my tent. My tent was near a bunch of standing dead trees that would creak when the wind picked up. A very loud and distinct sound. Now on this particular night, it was dead silent and still. I started to hear sticks cracking and steps being taken that slowly got closer over the course of about 15 minutes. 
It was loud enough I was certain there was a bear approaching my tent. It got so close that it had to be no further than 15 feet from my tent. Cracking sticks and padding around the forest floor, I decided to yell out very loudly. Silence. I was answered with nothing but deafening silence. No sound of the creature fleeing or doing anything at all. I sat in silence too scared to move, trying to rationalize to no conclusion. About twenty minutes of dead silence later, I heard the eeriest, unnatural, and unexplainable noise. It was the exact same timbre and volume, and just basically the same sound as the trees outside creaking. But instead of being a regular creak, it began, and then held the exact same note of creak for a full five seconds or even longer. It was like an unnatural drone that was obviously not a tree creaking. There was not a hint of wind or any other trees creaking as per usual. I got barely any sleep and the next day was tough, and I just had to forget about it. I didn't ever make the connection that skinwalkers are known to imitate sounds like that until a few weeks ago. This happened in July 2022. If anyone has had a similar experience or has any ideas of what this could have been, I'd love to hear. As of right now, the dreams have died down, but this is something that most people don't believe when I tell them this. A few months ago, I constantly had extremely agonizing migraines followed with brain fog. This always happened at night from what I can recall, and there was always an ammonious mechanical humming buzzing over the roof of my house. After the first few nights of this occurring, it had occurred again, but this time I believe I had actually seen what the source of this sound was. What makes this more disturbing is that I lie far from any other airports that may be in a dozen kilometer radius of the area I live in. I saw this colossal, triangular aircraft with three red, but dim lights on its corners. There were green, stroking lights on its sides and white lights around the center of the structure. It moved quickly but a low enough for me to notice it. Sadly, I was too slow to capture a photo of it before it got out of view. After this incident, I kept having extremely detailed dreams about these strange aircrafts. One of which in particular was one of the most detailed ones. I was in my house with my mother and suddenly I felt the urge to go outside and look at the sky. I had my camera with me, and when I had walked outside, I saw this huge triangular craft. I took a few photos of it, and when I went back inside, time had seemingly accelerated from dawn to sunset. I woke up from that dream with a short, but excruciatingly painful migraine. The second dream took place in what looked like a UFO assembly line with some sort of gas giant outside a window in space or something. I was sitting in some sort of waiting room and a man dressed in what looked like some sort of spacesuit took me on a tour. I saw all sorts of UFO types, cross-shaped, dome, cigar, triangular, cube, etc. A few days after this dream I had seen the strangest shit I had ever seen in my life. I am sorry if my grammar is bad while writing this because I'm currently on mobile. I was standing outside with my friends drinking some Sprite and an hour after they left, I saw this rectangular, dark metallic object with red lights on its corners hovering by the side of my roof. There was a glass panel on the side of it with something I can't recall what inside, controlling it. I dropped her my phone in horror before I could take a pic, 
but it didn't hit the ground. It felt like time stopped. I caught something moving in the corner of my eye. I glanced over to my left and saw this gray, cylindrical thing with contorted legs and a horn with a glowing end on what would be its face. The way it moved will haunt me for a long time. It was jittery but disturbingly smooth as if it was rotoscoped into reality. After that time leaped forwards and it was as if I had been standing in that same position for an entire night. Walked in my house and immediately fell asleep. Tried to get my mind off what happened that night but couldn't. I was not under any drugs or intoxication during this. It was a bright morning as I walked through the forest, enjoying the fresh air and the beauty of nature. I had just started working as an assistant to park ranger Susan, who was a seasoned veteran with years of experience in the field. She had a keen eye for spotting unusual wildlife and was eager to teach me everything she knew. As we reached the area east of the junction of Highway 211 and Unjur Road, Susan suddenly stopped in her tracks and pointed to something up ahead. Squinting my eyes, I saw a large, black-brown creature crossing the path from left to right. It was very hairy, and the top of its head appeared to be rounded rather than pointed. I was astonished, as I had never seen anything like it before. The creature stopped, spun around, and looked directly at us. Its gaze was intense, and we couldn't help but feel a shiver down our spines. I could tell that Lori was just as surprised as I was, and we were both eager to investigate further. We cautiously followed the creature about thirty feet into the forest. However, the dense foliage and our growing unease made us increasingly anxious, and we decided to return to the safety of our vehicle. As we made our way back, Susan shared stories of previous hoax cases involving a so-called dogman that would run away, jump into a car, and take off laughing. However, there was no side road at this site, which made our encounter all the more puzzling. Back at the car, Susan and I discussed the strange creature we had seen. Neither of us could identify it, and we were left with more questions than answers. Was it a new, unknown species, or perhaps a misidentified known animal? Or maybe it was something even more mysterious, a creature that defied explanation? Our encounter with the unknown creature sparked a newfound curiosity and sense of wonder within me. Working alongside park ranger Susan, I knew that I would have many more opportunities to explore the mysteries of the forest and the incredible creatures that call it home. When I still lived with my mother in her previous home, we had a feeling there was something else present. The creepiest thing that I can't explain is one night, I was sitting on the couch watching a show called A Haunting or something along those lines, as soon as the TV said, and that's when they started messing with the electricity. Both of the lamps in the living room started flashing on and off. I've never witnessed electrical problems before or after that. The lamps were plugged into different outlets. The TV didn't flash. I asked my sister if the lights upstairs were acting weird, and she said no. When I came back downstairs from asking her, they were back to normal. I've tried to think of an explanation besides it was a super weird experience with a spirit or something, but haven't come up with one. I didn't feel scared or anything, so it was actually pretty cool. 
LOL. I went to high school in the early 2000s, specifically 23-2007. I was in band, choir, and theater, so I was not popular by any means. I had a fair amount of friends, and high school was fun for the most part. I live in a small coastal town of Mississippi, so it's important to know that everyone pretty much knows everyone else. Enough of that though, let's get to the actual story. Living in South Miss, everyone pretty much knows everyone. I wasn't popular in high school, but I had a fair amount of friends. I had this weird way of attracting the oddest of people at school. I'm not talking about those that were goth or emo, but those that were genuinely weird. You know what I'm talking about, those people that were on the creepy side. I didn't think much of it because in my young high school mind, they were just misunderstood. This one guy that I met at school, let's call him Chip, was more of a creep than I thought. He would follow me around the school talking to me about random things. He was into the card game magic and would try to explain it to me in great detail to my disliking. I would politely tell him that I was not interested and walk into my class. He made it a point to wait for me after each class and walk with me everywhere. He was a loner and I was starting to figure out why. I figured that he talked to me because I didn't tell him to screw off. My friends would give me grief about him and say that he was stalking me. I would laugh it off and say he was just a weird guy that didn't know better. To give a little backstory to this, I was pretty awkward looking in my freshman and part of my sophomore years of high school. I'm tall, 5 feet 9 to be exact, and during that time I was having growth spurts. I was super skinny and had boobs way too big for my tiny frame. I had not grown into myself just yet. Okay, back to the story. He would tell me every day that I was the most beautiful person he had ever seen and wanted to be with me. I wasn't allowed to date at the time, so I would tell him that my parents weren't allowing me to date just yet. He told me that he would wait for me, and that we would be together one day. I just brushed it off like I always did not thinking anything of it. Fast forward to my junior year of high school. I had finally filled out, I'm still slender, but I was finally getting some curves and my breasts look much more proportional. I was driving home from school with my little sister in the truck with me. I had a red 1997 Ford Ranger XLT. I was turning off the road that my school was on and there was an old Chevy that was following me. I didn't think much of it at the time because several of my classmates lived close to me. There were a couple of main roads in my hometown. Highway 90 which is the beach highway and railroad. They run parallel to each other. We were driving down railroad to our street and the old Chevy truck was getting closer to us. It freaked my sister out, but I assured her that it wasn't anything to worry about. We pulled onto our street and then to our driveway and the truck passed us. My sister and I shook it off and walked inside. A few days later we were pulling into our driveway after school and Chip was sitting on our front doorstep. He smiled at us and waved to me. My mom works in the morning as a weekday preschool teacher, so she was already home. I nodded at him and rushed my sister inside through the side door. My sister was in the seventh grade at the time. My mom just looked at me with this stern look and asked me why he was sitting on our front doorstep. 
I told her about him following me around at school and talking to me because he doesn't have any friends. She told me that he is not allowed to come back to the house and that I needed to ask him to leave. I told her that I would and I walked outside. I told him that he would need to leave and that my mom said that he wasn't allowed to come back to my house. He smiled and said okay and walked away. I got a really creepy feeling about him from then on out. As usual he would follow me around school every day. My senior year came and I got a job at the same preschool my mom works at. I was at work one day when I looked out my classroom window and I noticed the old Chevy truck parked in the parking lot by my truck. I got that same sick feeling that I got that day I told Chip to leave. I shook it off because I had a classroom full of kids. A few days later there was a knock on my classroom door. Now the way that the preschool was set up was in trailers with a large outside deck connecting each classroom. This was right after Hurricane Katrina and the old building was destroyed in the hurricane. My mom and the director were standing outside looking upset. I asked them what was wrong and my mom said that Chip was here looking for me. They found someone to cover for me and I stepped outside on the deck where he was standing. He approached me like he was going to give me a hug. I backed up and put my hands out in front of me. He stopped and looked hurt. I've been waiting for you, he said. I asked him for what. He told me that I am more than old enough to start dating, and he felt that it was time that we start dating. I told him that he was crazy and that I would not date him. I gave this super long pissed off monologue that I won't bore you with. Basically I told him in so many words to screw off and don't come near me again. He pleaded with me and then got angry when I didn't apologize to him. I stood my ground and he finally left. That was a huge mistake. I broke down and cried. I was crying so hard that I didn't realize that I had literally hit the deck. My mom took me into the office building and called the police. I relayed the conversation to them when they arrived and they took me to the station to give a formal statement and to have a restraining order put against him. I thought that would be the end of it. I was wrong. A few years later I have since graduated from high school and junior college. I was starting my first year at a four-year university. I was also working for an HVAC company as the office manager. Our office was in a modular home. My office was to the left of the door and there was a window in front of me letting me see who would walk into the door. The restraining order had been lifted because it was only for a couple of years. I was hoping that he had gotten the message and would leave me alone. I was in the office and I heard the door open. I was working on something in QuickBooks and politely said, I'll be with you in a moment. I finished what I was doing and looked up. I felt the blood drain from my face. It was Chip. I stared at him in horror. My boss had a shotgun in my office in case someone tried to break in and harm me when I was alone. I happened to be alone at the time. I also had my boss's Belgian Malinois Sam with me as well. Sam would greet me every morning and would stay by my side all day. He was two at the time. He sat up and growled at Chip and got closer to me. I asked him what he wanted. He stood in the small foyer and smiled. I'm still waiting for you. He turned around and walked out. Sam barked at him and whined when the door slammed shut. I called my boss and told him what happened. 
He rushed back to the office and made sure I was okay. I told him that I was and was thankful that Sam was with me. At the time I was living with my boyfriend, now husband, and told him what happened. My boss told me that I could have Sam as my dog as long as I brought him to work with me every day. I thanked him because Sam had become really attached to me. I brought Sam home with me and still have him to this day. My boss's other dog had puppies. She was a pit bull and my boss gave me one of her puppies. We named him Breezy and he and Sam are best friends. I left the company after I was offered a job in the town I live in now. My boss told me that Sam was mine to keep and I was grateful for that. Fast forward a year. That last bit was in 20,120,2013. My boyfriend and I are now married. The wedding was beautiful and we have been happily married. I'm still at the job that I left my previous job for. I was leaving work one evening. It was early December 2014 so it was dark out when I left. My boss knew my former boss and lets me bring Sam with me to work. It's a small office that does exotic car repair. I was in the office by myself most of the time, but the garage was connected to the office. As I was leaving Sam stopped and started barking and growling at something in the shadows by the office building. That was the last thing I remember. I woke up in the middle of an abandoned park. It used to be a popular park where families would bring their kids to play on the swing sets. It was privately owned and the man who owned it died so it became abandoned. I couldn't tell where I was because it was so dark. I couldn't find my phone or purse. I saw something moving in the distance I realized that I was tied to the old swing set pole. The figure got closer and I could see who it was. It was Chip. I screamed but he rushed over and covered my mouth with his hands. I stared at him in horror. I waited for you, he said. My eyes got wide. I waited and waited and waited, but you never came to me. That upsets me. By this time he had let my mouth go and had turned his back to me. I wriggled my hands a bit to see if I could get free. I couldn't get my hands free, but I noticed that the pole wiggled. He still had his back turned to me and was talking nonsense. I don't remember what he said because that's when my adrenaline kicked in. I had been taking kickboxing classes for some time now. I started the classes to get in shape for the wedding, and I loved it so I continued. I looked behind me and noticed that the pole that I was tied to was really short. I pulled it out of the ground quite easily and adjusted myself to bring my hands in front of me. I quietly stood up and approached him. I swung my arms and heard the pole connect with his head. He hit the ground with a thud. He was a large man but not very muscular. I ran to where I knew the road was and found his truck parked on the side of the road. I looked in and saw my purse and things on the passenger side. I found an old pocket knife on the driver's seat and cut myself free. He was an idiot and had left the keys in the truck. I thank God for that. I started the truck and peeled away. I went straight to the police station and told them what happened. They took my report and I called my husband to come get me. He came with my parents and we hugged and cried for a long time. I asked them where Sam was and if he was okay. Apparently when I blacked out Sam attacked the guy and he beat him pretty badly. My boss found him and had called my husband after he couldn't find me. 
They had taken Sam to the local vetter. He was badly hurt but survived. The police went to the site where I was and they couldn't find him. He had disappeared. Fast forward to Valentine's Day 2015, we were celebrating at home with our dogs and cat boss. I went to check the mail and saw a letter with no return address. I walked inside and opened it, and there was a small piece of paper that said, I'll be waiting for you. I dropped the note and cried. We took it to the police to add it to my case file. 2016 came and went without issue. Until Christmas, I was getting ready to go to my parents' house while my husband put the presents in the car. I walked out of the house ready to go and my husband looked at me with a scared look on his face. He just looked at me and cut his eyes to a spot around the car. I walked around and saw Chip. He was holding a crowbar like he was ready to bash my husband's head in. I had my Bluetooth headset on and made sure that I was half hiding behind my car. I held my phone and dialed 911. I heard the dispatcher and said, Mama, it's me Sarah. The dispatch asked me what the emergency was. I told her that we would be running late because an old friend had shown up. The dispatch asked what my address was. I said, Oh, I thought I had texted it to my sister already, I'm sorry it's... And I gave her my address. She said that the police were on their way. I said, That sounds great, I'll see y'all in a bit. I hung up and smiled and apologized about that. He smiled and said that he was tired of waiting for me and wanted me to come with him. I stood there and told him no, he waved the crowbar side to side in his hand behind my husband's head. My husband is a very fit man. He quickly turns around and elbowed him in the head. At that time, the police pull up and arrested him. I gave them another statement along with my husband, and they said that they would update us on the case. We went to my parents' house, spend some time with them, and we went home. It's been some time since his arrest and no word on what has happened. I keep looking over my shoulder in fear that he will be there. Sam doesn't leave my side. He goes with me everywhere that dogs are allowed. If Sam can't go, my husband does. I don't know what will happen, but I want to move on with my life. Maybe one day I will be able to. I remember what he said when they put him in the police car. I'm still waiting for you. I'll always be waiting for you. Update. I just got off the phone with my lawyer, and he has not bonded out yet. The court date is set for February 7th. I will update after court. Update 2. Court was uneventful to a point. We heard statements from both his and my lawyers. They pleaded insanity on his behalf. He's not insane. I wanted my lawyer to push for life without possibility of parole. The judge said that we would have to obtain information to overturn the insanity plea. My lawyer is currently poring over school academic records and previous jobs that he has held to prove that he isn't insane. I've been trying to process this information for some time. I can't believe they would try to pass him off as insane. We will be back in court on Monday. It's Thursday night. I'll be home alone for the weekend. My husband and his best friend will be out of town for business. It'll be just me, Sam and Boz. I'm nervous, but I know he is still in the county jail until our next hearing. I will update as soon as I can. My boss gave me Friday off so I can stay home in the safety and comfort of my home. 
We installed a state-of-the-art alarm system with cameras and everything. It makes me feel a little better. I won't be going anywhere this weekend, either. This was not what I wanted, but it's better than him walking the streets and possibly trying to abduct me again. Update 3. It's been a while since I have updated this. My lawyer was able to temporarily overturn the insanity plea because of the information he found. The judge told him to his face that he believed he wasn't insane, but that he was psychotic. There was no ruling because his lawyer doesn't think he is fit to be in jail, but wants to put him in an institution so that he can get help. I think that he is beyond help and needs to be locked away for good. The judge said they have to prove that he truly needs help and appointed a psychologist to run some extensive tests. I'm afraid that they will find him to be mentally unstable and put him in a mental health facility instead of jail. This is not how I wanted this to go. I will update again when I get some news.